1: Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything.
3: Hey, it's Doug Gottlieb. You know our trusted partner, TireRack.com, has their fast, free shipping, free roadhouse protection, convenient installation options, and their selection of the best tires, like the highly consumer-rated BF Goodrich All-Terrain TA KO2. But did you know they sell other automotive products as well? Wheels, brakes, and suspension, just to name a few. Everything you need to elevate your drive. what up America Doug Gottlieb show Fox Sports Radio man I hope you had a great weekend I know I sure did spent the last four days and nights uh, in our neighbor to the north in Canada all I have to say is I spent one weekend of my life in Canada and the two countries agreed to terms on NAFTA you're welcome America you are welcome Listen, I was drinking beer and wine and hanging out with friends and celebrating some a 40th birthday, but I also was was helping uh, was helping smooth relations so that our president and his henchmen and ladies could get that agreement done. You are welcome. I also like you got a chance to watch some awesome football this weekend. My wife, hey, can we go on this trip? Yes, can I watch football all day Saturday and Sunday and pretend like I'm involved in the trip? Sure, that's what I did. We got a ton of time to get to Ohio State's comeback against Penn State. Some really bizarre play calling in college football. A man who's being hailed a hero in Indy in the NFL should not be hailed a hero because though you want to be tough, you also want to be smart along with being tough. The Bengals appear to be legitimate the Bears' defense is nasty, and Nagy is doing an amazing job with Trubisky. The Raiders get their first win under Gruden. We got a chance to see the full Baker Mayfield. The Cowboys get a much-needed win against the Lions, who I don't mind alternative your jerseys, but when you're not wearing Honolulu blue, I got some questions for you. The Packers get a win over the Bills because the Bills are exactly who we thought they were. The Titans show exactly what I've said about the Eagles all off-season long. Heavy is the head that wears the crown. We'll get to that Texans Colts game. Oh, yeah, Patriots seem to have figured things out. The Jets still stink and the Jaguars are better. And we got a lot of other stuff to get to. But Earl Thomas is being hailed as some sort of hero today. Some sort of rebel. I, it's because and we do this all the time. I'm convinced that my generation, guys that and this comes from uh, from Gen X, Gen Y, Gen Z, millennials, we all have an issue with authority. Right. Whether it's the president or Congress or a coach or a principal or any sort of administrator, anyone in charge, we don't like unless they do it. Adam Silver has done, which is let us walk all over them. And so when Earl Thomas breaks his leg ending his season, somehow this tragic moment that could derail the Seahawks, who are a surprising two and two, like lost in this is, the Seahawks have only played one home game. And though their home field is not the advantage that some believe it is, they're four and four there last year. They've only played one home game so far and they're two and two at the quarter pole. And the Niners lost their quarterback, although C.J. Beathard looked good yesterday. The, the, the Cardinals just stink. And the Rams are the best team in the league. But they got a chance to make the playoffs. So instead of discussing, hey, Seattle's 2-2 two and two after one home game, we're discussing Earl Thomas, good for him. Ah, that's why he wanted a long-term contract. Because we operate in this We operate in this completely parallel universe where Earl Thomas is not getting paid from this point forward. Let me set you straight here, America. Earl Thomas is getting every penny that he's owed this year because he got hurt while playing for the Seahawks. Earl Thomas, who didn't go to training camp, who skipped out in a couple practices a week and did what you're not supposed to do in the NFL, which is you can't play to not get hurt because what happens? You usually get hurt. Unfortunately, a really good player broke his leg on kind of an innocuous tackle in the end zone on a poorly thrown ball from Josh Rosen that scored a touchdown for the Cardinals. Earl Thomas is no longer a top five safety in the league, but he's being paid like a top five safety. And somehow he's a hero. He went into another team's locker room after a game last year and openly opined for them to come get him. Did the same thing last week when he played the same team. He wants a new contract, even though we were told for a long time that NFL teams don't live up to their contracts. The Seahawks are paying him every penny that he's owed. Signed a four-year, $40 million deal is partially front-loaded with the signing bonus. He's getting all $40 million. And somehow the Seahawks are bad guys because he gave him the finger. How have we gotten to this point to where I, I don't mind fans being pro player because you don't know anything about the business of sports. It's not your fault, but the massive colossal ridiculous egos of the Seahawks have ruined the greatest defense of the last 20 years in the NFL. Right? What's the one thing you don't, you always say this when you're searching for a woman, Like, I want a woman who's a 10 who thinks she's a 7, not a 7 who thinks she's a 10. The Seahawks had a bunch of 8s and 9s. And collectively, they were 11. But then they all wanted to be paid like 10s and 11s. And some of them did get paid. And they got super jealous of their quarterback, who also got paid. And it tore apart a team. And whenever they've been left to patch back together, the Seahawks somehow are bad guys because they committed to paying Earl Thomas all that he was worth. Do you know who lost out yesterday? Earl Thomas didn't lose a penny. Earl Thomas is a free agent at the end of this year. If he truly has value at 30 years old, whatever that is, the market will determine it. You're worth what somebody's willing to pay you the only entity that lost out was the Seahawks because they can't get anything for trading Earl Thomas now. And they don't want to franchise tag him for next year. They lost the depreciating asset who they were ready to move on from. And they still have to pay the problem with fans and part. Some of it is media members is players have offered up this disingenuous. We don't have guaranteed contracts. No, they are guaranteed. They're not guaranteed to level of baseball players, to level of basketball players. And that's because usually when you hit 30 you're washed with the exception of quarterback and a couple other positions. One injury can in fact happen in a split second and that can end your year and sometimes end your career. But Earl Thomas's deal is guaranteed. He's getting every penny. But you show your inner insecurity, your inner lack of desire to be led, your problem with authority because maybe your parents were mean to you or a teacher was mean to you or a president, a principal was mean to you or you had a mean boss. But the Seahawks are trying to navigate the waters of a team with a high toxicity level. And you know what? In spite of the fact they don't have a great offensive line, in spite of the fact that their best wide receivers been hurt most of the preseason and most of the season. In spite of the fact that they have utter and complete dysfunction between these older players that want to be overpaid and younger players who are just trying to make it so that they can be overpaid. The idea that Earl Thomas is some sort of hero. No one said, no one has said Le'Veon Bell, Khalil Mack, Earl Thomas. No one has said ever said These guys aren't good football players. All of them were set to make huge money. Khalil Khalil Mack stays in Oakland. He makes $13 million. Le'Veon Bell plays this year, all year. He makes $14.5 million. And Earl Thomas makes $10 million. The statement which has been made is hey, look, dude, we paid you during the prime of your career. We're going to choose to not be locked into overpaying you during the down part of your career. We're not going to do what stupid baseball teams like the Angels do, which is pay you for five years well past your prime and ruin a franchise. Because we have a salary cap and it's a pretty hard cap and we got a bunch of 50, 52 other dudes to pay. And we got to spread it around. So either you've been misinformed, you got troubles with authority, or maybe you just miss the, the Legion of Boom. I do. I'm not even a Seahawks fan. That defense was awesome. But what 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 makes you sometimes breaks you. And the I'm gonna show you the cock of the walk persona the Seahawks had for over a half dozen years has caused this incredibly dysfunctional unit. What you saw yesterday, when one of the best safeties in the NFL over the last decade, gives the finger to the only franchise he's p- played for one that's overpaying him this year. And that will pay him every cent of his contract by the end of the year. It gives him the finger. It shows Legion of boom is dead. And that we had major problems with people, not understanding how business actually works in the national football league.
0: Be sure to catch live editions of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at noon Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app.
3: Welcome in Chris Sims from NBC Sports. He joins us in the Doug Gottlieb Show. Um, Other than quarterback, has anything else changed for Notre Dame since they beat Michigan?
4: Uh, Well, I... No, the quarterback is the big issue. I mean, certainly. And Brandon Wimbush, hey, listen, there's a lot of things to talk positively about him and what he did and uh, as a quarterback. He's such a talented runner. But, no, they were they were hamstrung by lack of a, you know, legit passing offense against teams that, okay, like we saw last year when they had to play Miami or Stanford, when teams stopped their run game, there was nothing else to rely on. And this Ian Book kid, is an extremely gifted thrower. I mean, he's the best thrower of the football on the field almost every week in pregame. I don't care who they've played. I mean, he's, now he's smaller, he's six foot, yep. but he's a very good athlete. And I think people are sleeping on Notre Dame's overall talent level, too. I, I, that's the one thing I'll say, Doug. This is not just like a bunch of scholar athletes who don't mess up. Right. I think there's a little more team speed and size and physicality on the team than maybe the nation's giving them credit for.
3: Yeah, they had I'm going to say it's like three or four years Years ago, when they were they were super super talented, and they had just they had a couple suspension. They had five, five guys suspended for the year, and then they had a litany of injuries. Right. And and since then, this is their most talented overall crew. the The difference was, you know, like, look, Winbush was even exposed against Michigan. They had no offense against Michigan in the second yes, half, and they right. only they only scored that big touchdown on a fifty fifty ball with some help from some penalties early on. Otherwise, Michigan wins that game, and Shea Patterson's cr- uh, cr- uh, cr- uh, cramping up. But then you look at their schedule. They're getting better, and their schedule is getting seems to be getting easier. Uh, what's the likelihood you think they run the table?
4: Well, I, I think if, if there's a good chance. I mean, there's certainly – I think if you just go on paper and evaluate it game by game, uh, I do look at it just like I think you are and go, no, I think they're going to be the most talented football team on every field for every matchup as we go on here. Now, playing in Virginia Tech – Uh, this weekend, we know what that atmosphere can be like. I mean, that's going to be crazy and, you know, that Virginia Tech defense and a defensive coordinator like Bud Foster, uh, I'm sure they're going to have a few wrinkles for this Notre Dame offense that they're not ready for, and let's just not forget they're kids and it's a crazy environment and, you know, crazy stuff happens at times, but yes, I think that Notre Dame is clearly in that next tier of teams for me, right, where I think we would all agree, and I know Clemson didn't look their best and Ohio State didn't look their best but i do think alabama georgia clemson ohio state are a notch above the rest of college football and then that next tier of teams is notre dame oklahoma and who slips up to where those teams can then join into the final four fun
3: all right uh, let, let's discuss clemson because last week was a wild week kelly bryant announced he's going to transfer because he gets beat out by trevor lawrence and then of course trevor lawrence goes down with an injury You're like hey where's kelly bryant uh, when when you first heard that Kelly Bryant was going to transfer, and because of this new rule, he could redshirt the rest of the season and transfer at the end of the year, what was your immediate reaction then?
4: Um, I, my immediate reaction was, wow, they're uh they're risking the whole season on a young quarterback who's unproven and i know he's got a lot of potential and i've certainly seen some of that but they're they're a national championship caliber football team and to make that move i didn't think kelly bryant would just you know flat out say that's it i'm going to transfer and i'm out of here i thought that would be one of those things that happened after the season or something like that uh but, yeah, it's risky. And as we saw, now you've got to play a different style of football, and they have to rely on their big guys up front, which they did. That's how talented Clemson is. Let's not forget, you know, Syracuse got two touchdowns on two very short fields off of – clemson turnovers i mean clemson up front can physically dominate you like they did to syracuse in the second half of that football game but yes i mean the quarterback thing is going to be iffy especially when they start to play teams that are a little bit more talented or have some different defensive schemes that can take away some of the go-to things clemson does on the offensive side of the ball
3: chris sims joining us from nbc sports doug gottlieb show fox sports radio help me out with what penn state's doing fourth and one huge, huge spot, and it just seemed like not a lot of creativity with the play calling. Did did you have an issue with the play calling from Penn State late?
4: Well, I definitely did. I mean, especially on that play. Yeah, I I mean, to me, you know, wow. I, I think the most amazing thing to me is the fact that you had two timeouts to sit there and think about it, and I would just think as a head coach, at some point, the thought would go through your head. Man, if we run the ball on fourth and five against Ohio State, who has four pro defense alignment on there, and we don't get it, people are going to call me an idiot. I, I would think that would be enough to change a coach's mind right there, especially with you know the way McSorley ran on some of the quarterback draws and quarterback design runs. Those were the most effective run plays of the night. He was the star of the game as far as rushing is concerned. But, yeah, I have a hard time uh, with that type of play. And they have enough good pass catchers, too, and McSorley's a good enough throwers that I know they have a few plays in the bank that they could have gone to other than, you know, some creative inside run against four super freaks on the Ohio State defensive line.
3: Yeah, yeah, I mean, you got Juwan Johnson who's 6'4", 230, you know. (laughs) Throw it to him. Exactly right. And McSorley doesn't see it, then he can run it. But calling a design kind of zone read, you know, interior run – did did seem seemed like a seemed like a bad call uh, from the second that the play began. Maybe they screwed something up. Maybe maybe they did they did not. Chris Sims joining us on the Doug Gottlieb show here on Fox Sports Radio. Uh, Michigan plays poorly out of the shoot, gets way down, and then completely eliminates Northwestern's offense. But it's those slow starts which you feel like at some point is going to come back and bite you. Is Michigan in the caliber of Ohio State, in your opinion?
4: I don't think so. No, I don't. I think the big thing that people are missing, you know, Northwestern's not very good. They're just really well coached right now. And the the big thing and the the amazement with me of Michigan, just even being on the field with them in week one and my studies leading up to that game, is they really don't have a legit, like, star offensive player. And, and I mean, I'm going to talk to like, you know, maybe some of those guys go to the NFL, but none of them are going to be stars. Like, it's pretty amazing to me that they don't have an explosive type NFL wide receiver running back on that roster after four years of Jim Harbaugh recruiting people. You know, they got a lot of solid at all those positions, but the offensive scheme uh, lacks creativity. I don't think I'm blowing anybody's mind away with that. But I think the other thing is they don't have players against the elite competition that can go above and beyond. Yeah, like, no oh, dudes. okay, you know what I mean? There's yeah. a seven-yard run there. Okay, that's great. You got seven yards, but really good teams have a player that every now when the seven-yard run's there, they can make three people miss and go seventy yards and take the pressure off the team. And that's where Michigan really struggles.
3: Yeah, I mean, look. In fairness, the, the trick Black kid got hurt again. Hurt his foot. I know. A six-three six wide receiver. Yeah. And, and, uh, I, I do think, but you shouldn't have, I agree with you. You look around the country at even some of the, the, you know, the, the, lo, the lesser, bi, you know, big 12 schools, big 10 schools, pack 12 schools outside the numbers at wide receivers, you, you got dudes. And Michigan yeah. seems to have considering how well they've been considered to have recruited. They do have a, a paucity of dudes. Chris Sims joining us on the Doug Gottlieb show. Let me quickly turn back to the NFL. Cool. Um, Gruden Gruden yesterday get gets his first win and there've been plenty of people that that have been critical of Gruden for trading away Khalil Mack. My point was simply that look, listen to what what he has had to say and that you can't afford to keep you know two guys that 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 soak up 20% of your salary cap. Right. And oh yeah, by the way, the Raiders weren't good last year with Khalil Mack. You know, it's not like he 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 took over a Super Bowl team and then he traded away their best defensive player. I, I kind of think it's a smart long-term play, and you look at how Derek Carr has improved steadily during his time under Gruden. I'm a, I'm kind of a buyer into Gruden, even though I don't love all the things he did in the off-season. You've played for him. What are your thoughts on Gruden?
4: Well, I, I do think he's got a plan going forward, you know. And I think the other part of the situation we're missing with the Khalil Mack issue too is. I think the Raiders have money issues, and I'm not so sure they could actually pay the liquid cash and the, the upfront money that Khalil Mack was going to demand. So I think that's another issue that plays into it as well. Hey, it certainly hurts that they have Khalil Mack. And I know, yeah, I mean, yes, they weren't great last year with Khalil Mack on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, but the year before they weren't great either, and he made a number of plays to close out games. And, you know, was the NFL defense at MVP because of that, whether it was sack fumbles or interception against Carolina Panthers that he returns to the touchdown in critical moments, all those type of things. That's what great players do. I do think they've been missing that, you know, alpha stud at the end of some of these close football games. It was great to see him get a win yesterday. Derek Carr is doing some very good things. He's had a few bonehead moments, yep. but let's. I mean, they, I mean, got they should be out. Miami. I don't they know what he failed out yesterday. I don't
3: know what he's doing, What he's doing in what he's doing in Miami. I know you're not surprised over New England. But it looked so bad the week before. Right Now, now they get Edelman back. They, they appear to have figured out how to use Josh Gordon a little bit. They'll use yep. him more. And all of that, of course, is going to, you know, as he gets, hopefully gets healthy, they got Gronk. Um, they, they seem to have drafted a pretty good running back, as, as we all yep, thought. Sir. So, I mean, should we, should we not? Should, is, is New England still one of the elite teams in the AFC?
4: I don't think they're going anywhere. I don't think, like, talent-wise, they're on the, like, elite talent uh, list for Chris Sims. But I think when you combine, the course, of course, the coaching staff and the Brady clutch factor, and their, their experience in playing tight football games, I, I do think you have to put them in the conversation as one of the elite teams in the AFC when you just take everything to account. You know, then also, hey, you got the Colts this week. Okay, yeah, I, I expect them to win that game. Kansas City Chiefs, hey, that's going to be scary uh, for the Kansas City Chiefs. I know they're awesome, but, man, you know, New England knows how to crack the code on some bad defenses, too, and that Kansas City Chiefs defense is nothing special either. So I'm certainly not counting them out. I am, after yesterday, this is the thing of yesterday. Everyone's going to look at the score and go, well, they won 38-7. Their offense is back on track. No. I'm not totally going to say that yet. It certainly will improve with Julian Edelman being back in. The story of yesterday was their defense. Yep. That game was 3 nothing with, what, 12 minutes left in the second quarter? And then Miami's defense finally just got worn down. There's only so many times you're going to stop Brady, Belichick, Josh McDaniels before they crack the code a little bit and put up a few plays. Miami's offense was just horrible yesterday, and I do think that that's what the, impressive, the impressive thing to me was New England's defensive line dominated the line of scrimmage and their coaching, they were I watched the film already, they were all over some of the past concepts of the Miami Dolphins, like they knew the play call or they had huge tendencies in certain formations, and that's where New England gets dangerous. This time of the year, when there's four games to watch on film, I used to break down film for the, the New England Patriots. When they start to accumulate game after game after game and they can study you more and more in depth, Man, Bill is not the greatest coach just because he's lucky. He is extremely intelligent, and he knows how to break down what teams are trying to do schematically on a weekly basis.
3: You mentioned Kansas City. Will the league catch up to Kansas City?
4: Not to like, not not to like. We're not going to see them fall off the earth like we've seen the last few years. Like, do I expect this pace to keep up? No, but I think the big thing is, is hey, this is not. I'm not blowing anybody's brain here either. I mean, Patrick Mahomes is the real deal. He's not going anywhere. Like his his 110 mile per hour fastball is not going to slow down. He is a special, special quarterback, and then they have other special people around him with a really creative system. So, no, they're going to be a handful all year. What's going to have to happen to beat them is teams are going to have to get in front of them for once. Their defense is not good. We just, it hasn't had to perform yet because Kansas city jumps out on everybody 31, nothing, 21, nothing, whatever it may be. Uh, but no, I don't think this offensive talent and, and system and numbers are, are going anywhere to a degree. I just don't think it'll keep up quite the pace we saw the first few weeks.
3: Chris Sims, great stuff, my man. Uh, we got to catch up off air. I got to hear more about your family. I appreciate you joining us and, uh, Continue to enjoy your work on NBC.
4: Thanks, Doug. I appreciate it, man. Be good.
3: That's my man, Chris Sims, joining us. Uh,
4: Be sure
0: to catch live editions of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at noon Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific.
3: So Frank Reich says, hey, I was in Philly last year. We went for it all the time. We went for it on fourth down more than anybody in the NFL. We went for it. So here's Frank Reich on his decision to go for it. Fourth down, four yards to go. In his own territory. Twenty-four seconds to go against the division rival in the Houston Texans.
2: We're not playing to tie. I mean, we're going for that ten times out of ten. That's just the way it's got to roll. Yeah, I think that's who we're going to be as a team. You know, we're going to be aggressive. That's what that's what we want in our players. That's a mindset that we have in our players. That's the only way to win in this league, I think.
3: Um. Okay. It's the only way to win, but it brings up losing as an option. They were in a situation where they I don't want to say could not lose, but it would be very, very hard for them to lose that game at home. 43 yards, 24 seconds to go. I think Houston had one timeout. And um, Indy could have punted the ball into Houston's end zone. And Houston would have had to go Roughly 60 yards to get in the field goal range. Instead, all they needed was one completion, and that was that. Here's Andrew Luck on going for it with fourth down.
0: Again, we're not going to play for a tie, and I think everybody in that locker room freaking likes that. I mean, I love that. I love that. Now, we've got to execute. I've got to play better. I've got to throw a better ball. I mean, we, we all know where we have to improve. Uh, but that attitude, we can get behind that.
3: Hey, listen, you were going for it, <laughs> like this whole idea that like people play for ties. Nobody plays for a tie. Nobody, no one has played for a tie this year. Stop with the. We all hate tie. Nobody likes a tie. But would you rather lose the game? Because that's what the Colts are saying. Like we'd rather lose than tie. The Colts are now one in three. They would have been one, two, and one. The Texans season was saved by this miraculously stupid decision to go for it on fourth down. And then you got to Oh, that's a great go for it. We're all like, look, smartly kind of go for it. It wasn't like it was fourth and one in the Texans territory where, all right, look, you can, you know, it wasn't fourth and inches, it's fourth and four now in your own territory. Playing in a dome where weather's not a factor, kickers are going to make a 40-yard field goal about 95% of the time in the National Football League. So we've lost, because I hate ties. I can't believe there's ties in the NFL. Got to get rid of ties in the NFL. You know what? Let's go lose a game. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. That's the bravado. I don't play for ties. I play for L's. What? Huh? Excuse me? They weren't in their own territory. Houston's season is mostly over if they tie. Instead, they're like Lazarus. They get another life. Like the Undertaker, they've risen from the dead.
0: Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at FoxSportsRadio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live.
3: Been a head coach twice over the National Football League, longtime assistant. He's Eric Mangini. He joins us on the Doug Gottlieb Show. You can see him on First Things First on Fox Sports 1 on the TV side. What did the Patriots figure out that allowed them to blow out the Dolphins yesterday?
2: Well, one of the things the Patriots do better than anybody is, is you always go into the season, Doug, and there's the team that you want to be. And then as, as the season unfolds, there's a team that you need to be. And, and New England's one of the best teams consistently who figures out, okay, what, what's our strength each year? And then once they get that figured out, then it starts to roll. I thought they did a good job of, of incorporating the wide receivers, saw so Philip Dorsett contribute. In a more meaningful way, you saw Corderell Patterson contributing in a more meaningful way You saw Josh Gordon start to get involved, and I think that'll improve as well and then it becomes uh, James White as a leading receiver, so they they know that that's a strength that's what they need to take advantage of and plus, they got some guys back on defense and and they were able to self correct that's it, It's very easy to count them out and I feel like every year around this time we we're we're, we're singing sort of the the sad song of the Patriots and every year they get it figured out and they move forward.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Um what about Josh Gordon? I know he I don't think he played twenty snaps. I think it was like eighteen snaps. How'd he look?
2: Well he, he looks good enough to, to get on the field for twenty snaps, which is not an easy thing. Here he transitioned from the team that gave him the best chance to be successful, who had the most patience with him, to an environment that isn't forgiving. And you need to to be totally accountable, and you need to be precise and exact in terms of what you're doing to get on the field. So it's an accomplishment that he got on the field for 20 plays, and then he he drew a penalty, he caught a couple balls. Ideally, that role gets carved out a little bit more each week, and it doesn't have to be an every-down player. If he can come in for certain packages, maybe it's in 22, their big personnel group, which is what they started the game in, Maybe it's you know one or two groups where he becomes a, a, a real threat and, and truly understands the offense in that package.
3: All right, what about the, the Dolphins? Uh, there were a lot of doubters as they were 3-0, and very easily could have lost to the Raiders at home the week before. They didn't help quiet any of those doubters. How much concern should Adam Gase and the Dolphins have after getting beat 38-7? to And you've got, you got to go to Cincinnati, then you get got the Bears coming in the next two weeks.
2: Well, well, there's a flip side to what we're talking about with New England. So New England deals really well with adversity, and, and they've obviously dealt very well with success over time. But success is, is, is something that you have to teach a team to deal with, too. And Miami hadn't been in that situation. They hadn't been in, in a place where they were undefeated going into New England and, and with so many expectations. And as a young head coach, and Adam still is a, a young head coach, and, and a team that's learning how to win and how to win consistently, you're going to go through some of this where you, you, you deal with the other side of it. You deal with the positive side of it, but, but that's a lesson that, that has to be taught as well.
3: Eric Mangini joining us in the Doug Gottlieb show here on Fox sports radio. I'm kind of a buyer into the Bengals. I know losing Tyler Eifert again, hurts them in the regs, red zone. Uh, and, and why we've been taken down this road before where they came come up short in the playoffs but man, that defensive line, when healthy, is really good. They do have a, a tremendous amount, a diverse uh, amount of weaponry on the offensive side of the football. You see now that the Bengals play f- uh, four games; they've won three, except losing to the Panthers on the road. What's your opinion?
2: Yeah, I, I, I'm buying, I'm buying some some Bengals stock as, as well, and I do think the the diversity of ways that they can hurt you offensively has improved and. It, it's one of those things where they benefit from no expectations. They benefit from being completely under the radar. Nobody talks about the Bengals. I mean, very rarely does anybody bring that up. And that's, that's a great position to be in early on. I'd much rather start the season like that because then you can, you can go through it and, and everybody's focused on the task at hand. There's not a ton of distractions. Yeah. I, I've liked what I've seen from, from the whole package. All three phases have, have done really good things. And it's going to be interesting to see, uh, see how it goes here next week. All
3: right, it doesn't appear like they, the Pittsburgh's going to get Le'Veon Bell back anytime soon. How, how, much, how, how much in danger are they?
2: Pittsburgh's a, a tough one to figure out because I'm a big believer in the Steelers. And I remember last year they lost to Chicago, and that was surprising early. Then they got blown up by Jacksonville, yep. and the sky was falling. Then they went on a winning streak. So they've got the potential to do that. The concern that that I have is the is the defense for a long time, they had one way that they played defense and they did it really well and they did that better than anybody else with the zone blitzing and and primarily a cover three shell and that's changed over time and and look, they have every right to to change that. but now you watch yesterday and there's there's big plays being given up and and holes that that typically aren't there and they're not getting the pressure on the quarterback like they have, uh, over time. So that to me is, is one of the biggest concerns. And then offensively, you know, you dig yourself a hole with the the initial big play and then the fumble, that gets returned for a touchdown. They kind of grind back into it. And it it just seems like they're, they're finding some ways to lose where historically they find ways to win.
3: Okay. Oh, go ahead.
2: That being said, I, it's hard for me to bet against the Steelers long-term with Big Ben, Antonio Brown, and just the, the things that, that we've seen that offense do over time.
3: Even if they don't have Le'Veon Bell till Week 10?
2: Well, look, John Connor did a lot of good things early on. They didn't run the ball very effectively yesterday. They didn't really commit to the run very much yesterday either. Would I rather have Le'Veon Bell? Yeah. But, but do I think John Connor can be effective? Yes, and I think they can be affected because the passing game is such an issue. You get a lot of two-deep shells. You get a lot of seven-man boxes. So that should open up things in the running game just because you're going to try to stop the pass first anyways when you play them.
3: Doug Gottlieb, show here on Fox Sports Radio. Now, generally, I like the Belichick philosophy, and I think you have the same philosophy, which is, you know, like late in the game, if it's fourth and one, and you get that one yard, you win the game. Otherwise, you know, especially with all the rules now, you punt it, you leave yourself and prevent defense. You know, a lot of things can go wrong. Just win the damn game. But that wasn't the case with the Colts yesterday. They're fourth and four from their own forty three, which means even if they get the first down, you're talking about twenty one, twenty on the clock, and you have two timeouts, but you're not even in you're not even in uh, in the other team, Texans territory yet. So it's not like you're going to win the game on one play. I felt like it was an unnecessary risk to go forward in overtime, and you open the door to losing a game where tying a game is not a bad thing. As a You know, if, if losing is not really an option, really what probably wasn't much of an option, the percentage of chance. Um, risk versus reward, what was your reaction to what they decided to do in Indy?
2: I was surprised, and I heard the comments after the game that we weren't playing for a tie. My question is, would they have gone for it on 4th and 8th then? Would they have gone for it on 4th and ten? 4th and fourteen? At what point would they have decided upon? And you saw them come out with that initial formation, which I actually liked before the timeout, because they had some options to rub people off in, in man-to-man coverage. And that's what they were going to see, is man-to-man coverage. They take the timeout, they come out in a 2 by 2 formation, and they run routes with the sticks, so everybody runs up to the first down marker. And just turned around. around, yeah. That, that that's fine if your receiver is better than their defensive back. If you have a matchup that you think, okay, I'm going to get this guy isolated and my guy's going to win, but that that didn't seem like the case, and it felt like it was more of a gut reaction than, it, than a, a mindset going into that drive. And then my other question is, did you tell the offensive coordinator we're in four-down territory? Because that can affect that third-down play as well. So in, in, I heard what he's saying, I, I, I get what he's saying, but I don't know if that was truly thought out going into that drive. This is going to be our approach, and I don't know if that play was, was the, the gotta-have-it play that you'd want in a critical situation, knowing that if you don't get it, the odds of you losing the game have increased substantially. It, just, it, it didn't seem uh, to make a lot of sense.
3: Eric Mangini joining us. Kind of quickly here, the Kansas City Chiefs take on the Denver Broncos. Harder to do what the, what the Chiefs want to do on the road, but the weather's not bad, and I don't know if Denver can exploit their defensive weaknesses, but the big question is, I guess twofold, one, can Denver get to Pat Mahomes with their pass rush? More than anything, can they? is the league going to figure out what Kansas City's doing?
2: Well, let's look back to last year. Kansas City comes out smoking. They're 5-0, and I think they lost... Seven out of the next nine. So historically, they've they've started fast, and they started fast last year with Alex Smith. And what Patrick is doing is obviously impressive, but the league has a way of catching up with you. And then somebody's going to find that spot that that soft spot in Mahone's game, and then it's whether or not he's going to have a second pitch once that is exposed. And the nice thing about watching division games is there's that much more familiarity. So typically. That gets exposed within the division as opposed to when you're playing outside the division, there's less familiarity. So I'm curious to see how they attack Mahomes differently. And then once, once we see, okay, he, here's, here's where it is, how, how well he's able to react to it. And you see it, you see it all the time where guys come out, they light it up early, you know, Dak Prescott, you know, for example, or, um, I mean, sure. Any number of guys. You know, initially, the league's trying to figure it out. They figure it out, and then, what what pitch do they have next?
3: Yep, yep, totally. I could not agree with you more, Eric Mangini. Check him out on First Things First. We appreciate you joining us here on the Doug Gallup Show. Thanks so much, E. All
2: right, Doug. Talk to you soon.
3: From BBC Radio Four, Britain's biggest
1: paranormal podcast is going on a road trip.
2: I thought
1: in that moment.
3: plus at these prices you're burning rubber not cash keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com eligible items only exclusions apply Judy
1: was boring hello then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com
2: it's my little
0: escape
1: now Judy's the life of the party
0: oh baby mama's bringing home the bacon
1: whoa take it easy Judy <laughs>